This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Your source for Big Ten Talk, it's off tackle Empire! Welcome back to another episode of the Charging Blockcast, Off Tuckle Empire's basketball production. Of course, we are in season seven of this production. You've been listening the whole time, so you're aware of that. I'm joined today by our foremost Indiana expert on all things Hoosier and today Boilermaker, because hey, guess what? If your team's writers don't show up, your rival gets to talk about you. So I'm joined today by our own Candy Stripes for breakfast. Howdy, howdy. I, uh... I'll try not to say too many bad things about Purdue since I do live exceedingly close to campus for an IU fan, so uh, we'll be fine. Well, they're not going to know who you are, so (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure you're in kind of a good mood this morning, though, after yesterday's football win over the Cornhuskers. You don't even have to sweat out the bucket game to figure out if Indiana's going bowling, and the dream of nine Windiana remains alive. Oh, God, nine Windiana, so... (laughs) That's the whole story in itself, but I'm at least happy that for basically the first time in my life, the Hoosiers are guaranteed a bowl game before my birthday. <laughs> uh, and it was a, it was an entertaining game. They've played close games, but entertaining games, which I think is really all you can ask for. I certainly would settle for more entertaining games. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I... Uh, I remember when Michigan State was good, and that was fun and all, but I also just remember when they were appealing to watch when I didn't want to turn the game off after the first quarter. So it would be great if we got back to that spot, but that's a topic for another podcast, which Thump and I will be doing tomorrow. So we pivot then to the subject of Indiana basketball. So I wrote this outline kind of without input and to put myself in the appropriate mindset when I come to each team. I have this little section called the vibe, which is the one word I think of when I consider this basketball program for Indiana. The word to me is expectant last year, um, still early on in the Miller tenure, Romeo Langford, the long sought after home state product was finally on campus. They had some returning pieces around him in particular, Juwan Morgan, uh, but also had horrendous injury luck. So you are obviously much more versed with the Indiana fan base and program than I am. Um, what is your general feeling about the status of the program at this point? Well, the program I feel like is in a mostly okay spot. There's, I mean, it'd be nice if we could get five stars every year, like some teams from States. We don't talk about Kentucky, but, uh, on the whole, I think the program is fine, but for whatever reason, it feels like people are already starting to sour just a little bit on Archie. So I'm not saying this is a year he has to get back to the NCAAs, but it's probably a year he should be on the bubble at worst. And if he doesn't, the pressure would certainly ratchet up considerably. It It's understandable in a sense because... 
thinking back to the previous regime, when Tom Crean came in, the program was in shambles. It was a smoldering crater. And so, yeah, the first couple of years were extremely rough, but there, there's a, enough savvy in this fan base that I think everyone understood they needed to give him a little bit of time. Despite the Crean tenure ending on a bit of a disappointing trend, I don't think anyone viewed Indiana as being the same tire fire that it was when Crean took over. So expectations are probably, you know, this thing needs to get off the ground a little bit faster, especially with the way Miller has recruited landing Langford and, um, and with not, not an insignificant amount of talent still on the roster handed over to him from green or from Crean rather. Sorry. Um, so looking at this year's roster, then um, it's a backcourt heavy team in terms of experience, probably the three best players in my opinion would be, Durham and Green and Finnessy, all backcourt slash wing players. A little bit of depth issue behind them, though. Um, any thoughts on your part on what they might do for depth there if they have injury problems again? Well, I'm just taking a look at our roster here. Uh, I mean, hopefully you only really have to play two of those guys on the floor at a time because, like you said, once you get past them, there's a decent amount of guards on the roster, but I don't recognize the names of most of them, so that's probably not a good sign for actual depth. So basically, you're hoping that Rob Finnessy doesn't have another month-ish off due to a concussion, and that Devontae Green stays healthy, and Al Durham stays healthy, and if all three of them stay healthy, we'll be fine. Otherwise, yeah. eh, we'll see. <laughs> Beyond those three guys, I, I think you've got to expect to get at least eight to ten decent minutes a game from Armand Franklin. Kind of going to be the afterthought in the freshman class next to Trace Jackson Davis, but Franklin may actually end up being more important just because if anything happens in the front court, they're going to need a lot more out of him, or in the backcourt rather. In the front court, they have other options such that, you know, if Jackson Davis struggles adjusting to the college game or if they have an injury somewhere, there are enough other options that may be able to make things work. So, I'm bearing the lead a little bit here. The headliner for this recruiting class is Trace Jackson Davis. I'm sure we'll end up with some kind of abbreviation for that because anytime anybody's got three names, it usually turns into a let's refer to him by his initials situation or we'll find out he's got some nickname that lets us make it a little bit less of a mouthful. Um, In addition to him, Butler transfer center Joey Brunk is going to come online after sitting last season. They do have Deron Davis back from last year. Another guy who's had some injury issues, but there are times when Davis looks absolutely dominant. I mean, in the games against Michigan State in particular, which stick out in my mind for obvious and unpleasant reasons, um, he was an absolute force. So those three guys in the front court with Durham, Green, Finnessy in the back court, you can have a little bit of a stew going there, especially if everybody stays healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll pivot a little bit then and discuss schedule. So a little bit of a more manageable slate up front this year. And you mentioned they're really, they really ought to be in the tournament picture. Not a whole lot of obstacles to that early on a chance to rack up some early wins. Yeah. I mean, I think the hardest game before big 10 play is the big 10 ACC challenge game. And I'm not even sure how good Florida state is this year. So it is very possible that we get to the new year with maybe two out-of-conference losses at most if everybody plays up to 
what we're expecting from them. And even then, like, UConn, are they good this year? Who knows? Notre Dame always seems to play tough in the Crossroads Classic, but we have more struggles with Butler for God knows what reason. So I'm not saying we should go undefeated in the non-con, but I There's definitely a chance to pile up some wins there, yeah. Um, Indiana's one of the few major programs that's not participating in one of the major early season tournaments. Instead, they're holding this Indiana Challenge thing where over the course of about two weeks, they'll play a series of other teams. The other teams will all play each other. And the field in this challenge is kind of not inspiring. You've got a mix of you know, Sunbelt and SoCon and a D2 team. Uh, probably the best team of this group, I guess, is South Dakota State or maybe Troy. Uh, I mean, I feel I'll, like I'm sleeping on Princeton a little bit. but <laughs> Maybe I'm looking at the wrong thing then. I don't see them listed as part of this challenge. But yeah, it, Oh, yeah, they are in here. I wonder yeah. why their logo is not listed. I wonder if this site I'm looking at had problems getting their logo. It Interesting. I'm, I'm looking at the official IU site, and it's, a, it's basically... So you know the Cincinnati Bengals colors? Yeah, uh, it's, it's a, a P. <laughs> it's a Purdue P, basically, with those colors for some reason. Yeah, that's so strange that this preview I'm looking at left them out, because they're listed. I mean, the game is listed. They play on November 20th, but yeah. then... They're not mentioned as being the field. So Princeton, I guess, is respectable enough, although not necessarily the power of Ivy anymore. We scheduled some wins, and if we don't win at least three of these games, people will be mad. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, the other thing is with the Big Ten, again, probably going to be pretty difficult. You'd, You'd like to have enough of a cushion there that you can avoid. I mean... And we kind of skipped over this a little bit, but last season missed out on the NCAA tournament in most part because of that disastrous stretch in the conference season when they lost 11 out of 12 games, even though the one win in that stretch was, again, part of their season sweep at Michigan State, which won the conference. Yeah, um, yeah well, whatever, <laughs> whatever floats your boat. I mean, it, watching both of those games, I, I still can't exactly figure out what happened. It's just hard to win game. It's hard to win every single game, I think, is the ultimate. It's, you know, there's always a little bit of a dip like that from MSU's perspective where they fall flat on their face two, three games in a row. And yeah, it's usually but, late enough in the season that you get this anxiety like, what is that about? Are we going to be able to fix this? But it turned out better than I think I could have expected preseason. So you mentioned also Florida State. And Florida State's a little bit of an interesting one. Leonard Hamilton is consistently an excellent recruiter, but boy, if they aren't like a USC football in terms of misapplying that talent, I don't know who is because they never like they not forget about challenging Duke or North Carolina. Like they've been decisively passed by Virginia, which recruits okay, but not that well. So it'll, there'll certainly be a lot of talent on the floor, but this is a game where if, if Miller can't find a way to prevail here, despite, the talent level being relatively even, that might be a little bit of a concern because it's not like Leonard Hamilton's ever been viewed as an on-court juggernaut. Yeah, and also it's in Bloomington on a Tuesday night before finals. People will be there and people will be, let's call it excited so we don't have to worry about the legal issues. <laughs> sure. Uh, 
some other interesting you mentioned the crossroads classic as well they get notre dame this year irish certainly not where they were a few years ago either one other interesting note in the non-conference they do have a match with arkansas which not a program that you would think of off the top of your head as a dynamo but they did just hire eric musselman who was one of the hot coaching commodities last season after a run of excellent success at nevada so that's probably a game that iu should win as well because you know year one it's not like he's going to have that thing rebuilt um so sec basketball outside of kentucky is basically who are these guys for the most part yeah oh they've had a little bit of an uptick i think florida is going to be pretty good this year uh auburn obviously had a big run last year and tennessee looks like they've kind of found their footing as well in the wake of associating themselves with Bruce Pearl, which is what you get when you hire Bruce Pearl, your program eventually is going to be in a lot of trouble. So aside from that, we have what I've referred to as these first two games where you've got the two early conference games that are a mixed bag because there is the trip to Wisconsin, which, and I want to make sure I'm think, I think this is still the case, but I'm not positive. I don't think Indiana has still not won in Cole center. Correct. Nope which opened in like 2002 or something, or maybe uh, even earlier. It's actually like 98 or 99. <laughs> I was yeah. trying to cut you a little bit of slack. I, I was, no, I was the, like, the oh, I'll get a little bit closer to... We've uh, beaten Wisconsin, just not at the Kohl Center. Yeah, I mean, so, it, it's yeah. a tough place to play. These last couple of years, there have been opportunities. They, I mean, they've picked things back up on the recruiting trail a little bit, but I think this year might be an interesting transition for Wisconsin. But anyway... That's the first conference game of the year is at Wisconsin, followed by a home game with Nebraska, which should let you get back on the right foot at least. I mean, you hope to go one and one out of there. And then obviously, even with the expanded conference slate, a number of teams that you're only going to play once. And this year, a very up and down bag there. So you do have single play with Michigan State, only have to deal with them once. Um, Not that it was a problem last year. Also a single play with Michigan. But then other than that, the single plays are mostly teams that are going to be in the middle or back end of the conference. Northwestern, Iowa, Rutgers, um, Illinois, I think, will be closer to the top. But it's very polarized with the, the single plays. So there's going to be a lot of games in the conference with other teams in Indiana's approximate tier, which, again, I think is going to be somewhere in the middle. Um, thoughts in particular on the conference schedule? Well, I like that. Uh, I'm a little annoyed that most of our, what we would consider, I guess, the easier single plays are on the road. Like, uh, we're going to Rutgers. Why are we going to Rutgers? I ask myself that every time my team has to play them. So, <laughs> aside from the broader metaphysical question of why Rutgers. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's just, okay, so we're going to Rutgers. We're going, you know, playing Nebraska twice. So, okay, yeah. On the whole, I think this is probably set up decently well for us, but I do like that we're closing with Wisconsin and Bloomington because if anything at all matters in the conference schedule for us, that's going to be like, okay, everybody is going to care about that game. Or if we've had a terrible year somehow, everybody is going to be checked out and that game will be a mess anyway. But <laughs> Right. <laughs> Best to hedge your bets there a bit. Uh, a couple of key stretches in the schedule. Um, I'm sure for Indiana, the first games you look for are Purdue. Both of those games in February, uh, not quite three weeks apart. 
uh, the home game first and then the trip back to West Lafayette. There is a stretch, however, where there's home game starting for pretty shortly after conference play starts. There's a home game with Ohio State on January 11th, followed by road trips, Rutgers, and then Nebraska. So that's go to the East Coast and then all the way back to the middle of the country. Then home games with Michigan State and Maryland. And then two more road trips, Penn State and at Ohio State. So two trips with Ohio State, which I think is going to be either second or third in the conference this year. Home dates with Michigan State and Maryland. That stretch in January feels like it's going to be very important. The schedule eases up a little bit after that. Oh, yeah, and then after the trip to Ohio State, of course, is the Purdue game, but you'll have a week off between then. But that's one of those stretches where you look at here and there's games on the 15th, 18th, 23rd, 26th, 29th, not a lot of, and then again on the 1st. So not a lot of time off. And even with a couple of home games in there, a lot of travel involved because of how far away the road games are from each other. So that feels like the vital conference stretch to me. Anything else on the schedule that jumped out to you, Candy? Uh, I mean, I think I think you nailed it. That's pretty much the big stretch. If we can go like four and three or better in that stretch, then I think we maybe finish as high as you know, not like top four in conference, but maybe upper mid tier. If we go three and four or worse through that stretch, then where the most of the pundits are projecting this right now is probably going to be accurate, like mid to lower tier in the conference play. So we've prognosticated a little bit there. Let's kind of zoom out and, and talk big picture here. What do you think is the best case scenario for your Hoosiers this season? Uh, okay. So best case scenario, if we take care of business in the non-con and don't drop more than one game that we really absolutely shouldn't in Big Ten play, which has been a 50-50 prospect last couple of years. Um, I'm not sure we're going to stay out of double-digit losses, but if we do like 20, 23 and 9, I don't know exactly how many games we play, but somewhere in like the 22 to 24 wins is not totally out of the question. If we can hang around there, I think people will be mostly satisfied because that almost certainly gets us, you know, like a nine seed in the NCAAs because Big Ten team. Yeah, most likely. I mean, there is a little bit of seed boost you would expect to get from being in a better conference like that. Uh, I think I, I would probably agree with your assessment there. I think in terms of results, you're probably you're definitely hoping for a first round by the Big Ten tournament. You're hoping that you don't need to win a couple of games in the BTT just to make the NCAA tournament. Yeah. And then the in terms BTT of how the, yeah. not a good pair. <laughs> Which is, yeah, it's it's just, it's kind of unusual with that event how certain teams always seem to do better in it. It's really, it historically has been an event that's been dominated by Michigan, Michigan State, and Ohio State. I think altogether those three schools have like, Two third, like two thirds or three quarters of the titles that have been won, which may not be surprising because they've been three of the better programs since the tournament's been a thing. But as you mentioned, there are just other teams that it, it's you can't go into that event relying on a couple of wins of it because it just doesn't go well for whatever reason. And it's a large enough sample size now that you're like, maybe there's something to this, whatever that would happen to be. In terms of how the product looks, obviously, one of Indiana's biggest problems last year was that the three-point shooting was just non-existent. 
Uh, in the games when they even bothered to try, it was generally a disaster. And part of that was personnel. I mean, Romeo Langford, for all his talent, was not much of a spot-up shooter. He was more of a slasher, get-to-the-rim kind of guy. And with him being their best offensive option, that was just the kind of shots they were going to take. I would expect with without a clear ball-dominant guy like that, maybe it looks like a little bit more balanced thing this year. Um, and you'd also, obviously, I mean, if they're able to stay healthy, this this thing is going to look substantially better, I think. I'm still I'm sold on Miller as being a coach who can get this job done. I don't think he's as good as Chris Holtman, who I really think is going to get Ohio State off the ground this year, but... I think that Indiana may have a guy for the next number of years with Miller. I don't think you're going to be looking for a new coach anytime soon. Um, (laughs) So we've looked at kind of the sunshine and rainbows aspect of it. What do you see as kind of your worst case scenario here? Again, bar and we'll kind of leave the issue of injuries out of it. But is, is there anything big picture that concerns you about what you've seen from the product so far? Uh, I don't. Like, there's not any major factor that I'd point to and say this is going to be the reason why we lose. But, I mean, as you pointed out, we don't have a whole lot of guard depth behind the two or three guys who you want out there doing most of the work every night. So, if we can find some time to get experience for those guys in the early non conference play, that would be very helpful so that we have a fourth and fifth option at guard position to keep an eye on and like I don't I don't think there's a whole lot of easy to point out losses that we haven't already discussed but like if if we're not sitting at at least you know 500 in conference play and 17 or 18 wins overall then something has gone terribly wrong and Archie's seat gets real, real warm, real fast. I see. All right. Well, okay. That'll about wrap up our discussion of the Hoosiers. Let's pivot now to what's definitely your second favorite team, the Purdue Boilermakers. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. The vibe for me for this program would be confident, notwithstanding the losses they've had, because, you know, last season, a year after sending off Isaac Haas and Vincent Edwards and Dakota Mathias, Purdue retooled their attack, built their whole team around a spectacular season from Carson Edwards and tied themselves at the top of the rankings um, in the Big Ten. Did not get the title because of tiebreakers, but... They were right there looking Michigan State in the eye all season. Um, and Edwards was fantastic. He There's already some indications that he's going to be a success in the NBA. 
Um, only because of Cassius Winston having a season for the ages did he not win Conference Player of the Year. They had some early season losses to decent but not outstanding teams. Vatek, uh, the Florida State team that we discussed earlier, Texas and Notre Dame. But then once they got into Conference Play, they kind of hit their stride. And then also only lost in the tournament to Virginia, who ended up winning it all, as, again, Carson Edwards had one of the better NCAA tournament runs in recent history. So as a as a fan in the nearby basketball space, uh, what's your angle on Purdue short-term and long-term? What do you think of this program? So it feels like for about the last decade or so which is mostly painter era and then i think a little bit before that it seems like purdue has had somewhere between like two and four like top guys that just carry the team every year and depending on how those two to four guys play they'll either finish like top four or like mid-pack or worse and i know there was the one year where it was like pretty much it was aj hammonds and the no names and they didn't do so well but most of the years, it feels like they have, you know, one or two usually, but sometimes two or three guys that are just like, these are the guys that will carry this team, and however far they go is how good those guys are. So, and you know, I'll tell the one thing that I really envy about Purdue's program, if envy is the word, I guess maybe it is, is Painter sure is good at finding gigantic guys. Uh, <laughs> they always, I mean, it's been. They've got this chain going back like six or seven years now where you mentioned Hammonds. I mean, Isaac Haas was even bigger. And I think Matt Harms might be as tall as Haas. He's not built the same way, but they all. And it's not just at the center either. I mean, their wings are big, like Nogel Eastern is a two guard who's like six, six. So they always have tremendous size, which in a league like this is an advantage because however the games are officiated early in the season, by the time you get into February, the refs ain't calling everything, man. They just aren't. And you know, we get complaints from fans of certain other teams about how teams like Purdue, Wisconsin, and Michigan State get away with murder defensively because the refs just can't call anything. But look, the alternative is the refs call everything, and then you've got games taking three hours, games with all the best players sitting on the bench in foul trouble. So are there rules? Sure. But am I fine with them letting some stuff go as the season goes on? Yeah, as long as it's nothing too, too egregious. So that's a trend that Matt Painter has successfully leaned into. And big picture, I think if you're a Purdue fan, you've got to be as satisfied as you can be with him because earlier this decade, there was that run of time where they couldn't keep guys on the roster. You had players transferring. They underperformed consistently. I know there was you know, speculation about Painter's long-term status, but he's certainly righted the ship. And these last few years has consistently enough replaced the previous stars that you've he's got to have some benefit of the doubt here. Although when you look at this year's roster, you've got to kind of project and squint at it the right way to figure out where in particular their offense is going to be, co- uh, be coming from. Like, I mean, I, I looked at their roster a couple of days ago. I was like, okay, I recognize harms. And then, like, there's a couple other names. It's like, yeah, I sort of remember that guy being good. And it's like, who are half of the people on this team? I don't even know. Yeah, like, but, you know, like I said, that's that's kind of the trend that they've had recently. And in addition to Edwards, they lose his second banana, Ryan Klein, who was a sharpshooter. 
Um, another guy in Grady Eifert, who was a really efficient power forward who could shoot the three. Looking at that just on paper, it's not like they've, I mean, the recruiting class is nothing special. They've got three guys who are all three-star recruits. Um, only one of those guys is in the top 150 in Brandon Newman. But they've they've become kind of a developmental program. If you want to if you want to draw a football comparison, you could think of them as an Iowa or a Wisconsin, where on paper their talent isn't isn't generally anything all that impressive. Sure, they've had the Caleb Swanigans once in a while. Um, Edwards, I, Carson Edwards, I'm pretty sure was a four star, but they've consistently made their players better. So the fact that we can't look at this roster right now in the offseason and say for sure, well, that's the guy who's going to be, you know, top five in the league in scoring. That's the guy who they're going to go to in clutch time. doesn't mean that they're not necessarily there. Um, the most logical choices would probably be Nogel Eastern and Matt Harms, maybe with Trevion Williams mixed in there because Williams had a little bit of Nick Ward to him last year, at least front, you know, the early seasons before he started getting injured and ultimately benched. But what I mean by that is, you know, a post game developed well beyond his years. And then man, if harms had the ability to shoot that hook from just a little bit further out, I don't know how you guard that guy. I mean, who can even get up high enough to get to affect the trajectory of his shot. So they have some pieces there that could be interesting. Yeah. I mean, they'll probably cobble together some decent enough team that like, they're not going to, crash into the bottom half of the conference, you know, without major injury problems. Like it, worst case, they'll still probably finish like top six, but you know, yeah. this time of year, you can't really tell from a personnel standpoint. Maybe the last thing you'd keep an eye on would be, they do have this transfer from high point in Jihad Proctor, who is also a bit on the small side, a ball dominant guard. He's, he figures to take up some of the shots that are vacated. But I mean, this is a situation where between Carson Edwards and Ryan Klein, there are so many shot attempts that are now unaccounted for that painters really got his choice of how he wants to build this team. Looking at what the, what I saw from them last year, I do think going through the post is going to be their best path to success, but who knows? I mean, he's certainly got the track record that whatever route he opts to go, it's probably going to work. So We'll pivot and take a look at their schedule here. Pretty nice matchups early on. They've got Texas, Marquette, VCU, and then they play in the Emerald Coast Classic where they might be seeing Tennessee and Florida State. They get Virginia in the Big Ten ACC Challenge. They get Butler in the Crossroads Classic. That's a non-conference schedule that you can that will entice you into buying season tickets, basically. Yeah, pretty much. And that's also, this year in particular, that's a schedule that will tell you how good they're going to be in conference play. Like, you know, split split the VCU-Virginia game, maybe split, like, Marquette and Butler, see if you can grab Texas and Florida State and Tennessee, one of those. Like, you're looking, if they go, if they're, like, less than four losses coming out of the non-con, they're probably going to challenge for top three, top four. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I mean, the the flip side of that is we saw them take some losses in the non-conference last year against a similarly challenging schedule. And even though they lost a lot of those games, they still took enough out of it that they crescendoed and improved in conference season. And that's got to be the whole point of your non-conference. If you're not in a potential bubble situation, such as perhaps Indiana, for example, 
I think you want to schedule as hard as you can in the non-conference because you're not going to need the raw win count to push you into the field. And you want to challenge yourself. I mean, you, you want to see what you're capable of and you want to know that you're getting better when you compare those difficult non-conference games to your difficult conference games. It's, did we get better? You know, ha- knowing where we were earlier in the season, we have a good barometer to measure ourselves. So um, certainly an excellent non-conference schedule for Purdue. Taking a look at the conference schedule, they get a very favorable draw with their first two, the December conference games. They host Northwestern, and then they go to Nebraska. That's about as easy as it gets this year in the Big Ten. Single plays are also pretty darn favorable. They've got Michigan State, Maryland, Ohio State. In my opinion, the top three teams in the conference, from what we know right now, all single plays. Their other singles are with Nebraska, Penn State, Minnesota. So Nebraska is definitely going to – I think most teams, ex- most people expect them to be in the bottom – of the conference, but Minnesota and Penn state are definitely in that mid tier, probably in that eight to 11 range. So they, but again, it's on the one hand, fewer difficult games. They're not likely to actually need these wins except in terms of tournament seating. The flip side of that is if you are in a conference dogfight, say you stumble early and lose a couple games that you maybe wouldn't have expected to, you're not going to necessarily have opportunities to make games up on the Michigan States, the Maryland's, the Ohio States, because you only play them once each. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm looking at their schedule here. I think the big stretch is going to be weirdly. So they've got like a six games or five or six game stretch bookended by two games against Illinois from like January 5th, January 21st. I think that five games is going to tell us a lot about who Purdue is this year because it's at Illinois, at Michigan home against Michigan State at Maryland and then home for Illinois again. Right. And as, as we mentioned, you know, those are those are the only shots they get at Michigan State and Maryland. Uh, last season, they split the home and home with MSU and both the home teams won. That's a Sunday game. It's a noon tip. Um, it's already projected as being aired on CBS. So that's going to be a big game for them with MSU. And as you mentioned, that's a stretch with teams that you expect to see worst case scenario middle of the conference and the thing is this is early in conference play too so they after the first two that we mentioned they host minnesota to start conference play after the new year and then they go right into that five game stretch so if for whatever reason they haven't figured out how they're going to allocate their shots who the alpha dogs on offense are going to be they need (laughs) they're not going to have a whole lot of time to get it right if they haven't figured it out in a difficult non-conference schedule um of course, the flip side of that is down the stretch, the schedule is considerably easier. Uh, two games against Rutgers. They've got the Northwestern, both Iowa games, uh, a Penn State matchup, all packed into February. So I misspoke a couple of those in the first week of March. But nonetheless, definitely a front-loaded conference schedule. And because it's an easy schedule overall, if they come out of that five-game stretch Four and one, even three and two. You got to think they're in pretty good spot. Oh, yeah, absolutely. All right. So I'm going to have you put on your nightmare goggles for a second and tell me what the best case scenario is for the Purdue Boilermakers this basketball season. (sighs) Best case case scenario, they go 30 and five and end up winning it all. (laughs) Gross. Okay. (laughs) Um, I mean, that's. 
It's commentary, though, on where painters put this program now, that even after losing Carson Edwards and those complimentary pieces, that a fan of a rival team says to himself, man, it's still possible that they could put it all together and make the ultimate run. Um, I'm not sure if I quite see that. Uh, I think that it it's a little pie in the sky, but like you said, worst case scenario, and that's the worst case scenario every year. <laughs> well, worst case scenario for you, best case scenario for them. Uh, although, look, as <laughs> that's that's kind of a point we could get into an interesting sidebar. Uh, the notion of do you root for other conference teams in the tournament? Um, same thing in bowl games for football. I have always thought that's insanity. These are your chief and primary rivals. Is it good for Michigan State or Indiana if Ohio State wins another damn national championship in football this year? No, because then this juggernaut that we both have to play every year keeps right on rolling. It gets more momentum. We don't want that. Um, The Big Ten already has a perception problem. We're already far away from home for a lot of the best players. Those things don't change just because a conference rival wins a title. It just makes the good players more likely to go there and then we have to play them. So I've never understood the notion of cheering for conference rivals to succeed in the tournament or in bowl games. Do you? Yeah. Like, I mean, bowl games less so, but like the, the NCAAs, you know, if, if a bunch of teams want to get to the second weekend, that's fine. Right. But, you know, yeah. So I guess we haven't won the whole thing as a conference in a decade or more. Like when you're seeing the Michigans of the world get in a national championship game every year, it's like, okay, maybe maybe pump the brakes on that a little bit. But right, oh yeah, I, don't get me wrong. I, as much as I liked John Beeline, I am not at all regretful to see him go because even though they kind of disappointed last season, but I mean he got into two title games in the span in less than five years. I don't remember exactly when their I think their first one was 2014. Um, that's not something that you want to see as a fan of a rival program, because especially from a rival, because then you have to listen to it. Normally, your rivals are just the people who are closest to you. There's tons of Michigan fans around here. You make a good point about wanting to see some success, though, and I guess I would acknowledge that as long as there's enough baseline success that it doesn't sour recruits from wanting to come here, that's probably fine. You know, the football analogy is I live in the Detroit area, and there is a bowl game held at Ford Field every season that involves the Big Ten most years, if they can fill their allocation. I have no problem with, like, last year Minnesota came and won it handily. That's fine for them. You know, it's not the kind of bowl season that anyone's going to hang a banner over necessarily. So let them have that. You can hang out with some people from the other school when they come into town. That's fine. But, yeah, I think we're on the same page about that. So let's turn to a little bit of a rosier prediction for you then. What's the disaster scenario for Purdue this season? Okay, well, the good news is I see a disaster scenario. The bad news is, like I said earlier, it's probably still they finish top half of the conference. So (laughs) disaster is not as applicable as I want it to be. But yeah, there's there's definitely a couple stretches that, like I said, that five-game stretch, you know, they go 3-2-4-1, they're set up pretty good. They go two, three, one, four through that somehow. Like you have serious questions about whether they're going to make the second weekend of the tournament because <laughs> they crashed you. out easily at many times before. Well, yeah, that was the that was another problem that Painter had until basically this last couple of seasons was that 
regardless of how they would do in the regular season, they had some early weekend upsets. And I think Purdue is the kind of program where just making the field may not necessarily be enough to check off a box on whether this is a good season or not. I mean, it's obviously a baseline. If you don't make it, I think the season has to be viewed as a disaster, but that doesn't seem to be in play here. What I think the more plausible worst case scenario is, you know, this is a team that the only seniors are going to be Proctor, who's a transfer, and Evan Boudreaux, who I think is a former walk-on. He had a decent role with them last season before he got hurt, but neither of them are bona fide stars. So it's a younger team, it's a team without proven top level, you know, 20 point a game guy. Um, I don't think the fall here is going to be too dramatic for him. But yeah, if they end up, regardless of where they finish in the tournament or in the conference, if they make an early exit from the tournament, that may raise some questions about where they're going to be going forward. Because as we mentioned earlier, not a whole lot of stars coming in on the recruiting trail on paper. So more likely, I think the beat keeps going for Purdue, but hey, good things happen to or bad things happen to good people all the time, right? Yeah. <laughs> all right. If if I look at it seriously, you know, the worst case scenario is probably they don't get a double buy in the Big Ten tournament, they immediately lose, and then they crash out in the round of sixty four, the round of thirty two in the NCAAs. Like that's your floor for the year, probably. That's still not terrible. And yeah, right. Not a bad place to be. All right. Well, that will conclude our Hoosier State coverage for the preseason. Thanks again to Candy Stripes for Breakfast for joining me. It was a pleasure. I'm happy to come back anytime you need me. We will definitely continue to hold this podcast on at least a weekly basis through the entire basketball season, as again, we have done for multiple years, as our many loyal listeners already know. All right. Signing off. Source for Big Ken Kong, it's a tackle empire.